citizens, and welcome to Unknown. I'm Jason McClellan. Thanks for hanging out with me. I don't know about you, but I'm tremendously fascinated by the subject of space law, the issues of who controls space, what laws govern space, who enforces those laws, and how would they even go about doing that? And how would Earth-imposed laws work in space and on alien worlds anyway, especially in a situation where extraterrestrial civilizations enter the equation? Let's spend some time today exploring these questions. I love exploring UFOs and extraterrestrial life, but as a space geek, I also enjoy pondering other related space issues. And space law is one of those issues that has fascinated me for years. I wrote an article about this topic for Open Minds Magazine back in 2013. I've also talked about it on a couple of different shows over the years, but some recent news related to the subject of space law enticed me to want to talk about it for a little bit today with you. We'll talk about that news in a bit, but first, let's take a quick glance at space law overall. Space law is a developing topic that's certainly gained momentum in the past decade during this modern space race we're in. We have several private companies looking to profit from space in various ways. Laws regulating businesses here on Earth are plentiful, but what about in space? Well, laws regulating space activities do exist, but these laws are fairly new, and very little about these laws has been universally established regarding their scope or application. There's also ambiguity about who must obey these laws. With private companies pushing forward with plans like placing structures on celestial bodies and mining asteroids for resources, these activities certainly raise new legal issues and concerns, but lawmakers have been debating space law for decades. The 1967 Treaty on Principles Governing the Activities of States in the Exploration and Use of Outer Space, including the Moon and Other Celestial Bodies, commonly referred to as the Outer Space Treaty, is the foundation of existing space law. Although other space treaties exist, the Outer Space Treaty is the most important. In his book, The Privatization of Space Exploration, George Washington University Law School professor Louis D. Solomon explains, quote, More than 100 nations, including the United States, have signed the 1967 Outer Space Treaty, far more than any other space-related treaty, end quote. And therefore, quote, all space activities, whether public or private, must be considered in light of the Outer Space Treaty, end quote. The United Nations Office of Outer Space Affairs, or UNOOSA, is the, quote, Secretariat for the Legal Subcommittee of the United Nations Committee on the Peaceful Uses of Outer Space, or COPUOS, which is the primary international forum for the development of laws and principles governing outer space, end quote. Here's how the UNOOSA describes the Outer Space Treaty. The Outer Space Treaty provides the basic framework on international space law, including the following principles. The exploration and use of outer space shall be carried out for the benefit and in the interest of all countries and shall be the provenance of all mankind. 
Outer space shall be free for exploration and use by all states. Outer space is not subject to national appropriation by claims of sovereignty, by means of use or occupation, or by any other means. States shall not place nuclear weapons or other weapons of mass destruction in orbit or on celestial bodies or station them in outer space in any other manner. The moon and other celestial bodies shall be used exclusively for peaceful purposes. Astronauts shall be regarded as the envoys of mankind. States shall be responsible for national space activities, whether carried out by governmental or non-governmental entities. States shall be liable for damage caused by their space objects. And states shall avoid harmful contamination of space and celestial bodies. This straightforward framework sounds pretty restrictive when it comes to business in space. Let's talk about property ownership in space and see if that fits within these existing legal parameters. Governments and private companies have expressed interest in establishing bases and even colonies on the moon and on Mars. One notable example of this is the now-defunct nonprofit company Mars One, which planned to colonize Mars. Their aggressive timeline had them establishing a permanent human settlement on Mars in 2023. Things didn't work out so well for the company, and it declared bankruptcy and liquidated its assets back in 2019. But before that happened, the company had these grand plans, and its website proudly claimed that, quote, the Mars One Foundation will own the Mars settlement, end quote. Had this colony gone forward, would that have actually been the case legally? Article 2 of the Outer Space Treaty states, quote, Outer space, including the moon and other celestial bodies, is not subject to national appropriation by claims of sovereignty, by means of use or occupation, or by any other means, end quote. There are some who strictly interpret this provision to mean that although governments can't claim property rights, private companies may indeed claim ownership. But when we look at Article 6 of the Outer Space Treaty, it lays out that, quote, state parties to the treaty shall bear international responsibility for national activities in outer space, including the moon and other celestial bodies, whether such activities are carried on by governmental agencies or by non-governmental agencies, and for assuring that national activities are carried out in conformity with the provisions set forth in the present treaty. The activities of non-governmental entities in outer space, including the moon and other celestial bodies, shall require authorization and continuing supervision by the appropriate state party to the treaty, end quote. It seems like those who argue that the Outer Space Treaty doesn't regulate the activities of private companies overlook the importance of Article 6. Addressing this issue, in his book, The Development of Outer Space, Sovereignty and Property Rights in International Space Law, Thomas Gengale, the executive director of aerospace think tank Ops Alaska, cites Lawrence A. Cooper, an attorney specializing in space law, who states, quote, Some have argued that the Outer Space Treaty's broad definitions allow individual appropriation of space and celestial bodies because it only specifically prohibits appropriation by states. However, states are responsible for the actions of individuals, and property claims must occur through the state's property laws. Therefore, individuals may not claim space or celestial bodies, end quote. This essentially means that all parties in space are bound by the Outer Space Treaty. This treaty binds the governments, and the government binds their citizens through laws and other means. So how does this affect a company planning to own a settlement or a base on another world like Mars One planned to do on Mars? 
using the Outer Space Treaty, there's a strong argument that these companies have no legal claim to the alien land where they place their structures. But they would, however, retain the property rights of whatever material that company launches into space. Article 8 of the Outer Space Treaty addresses this, stating, quote, A state party to the treaty on whose registry an object launches into outer space is carried shall retain jurisdiction and control over such object and over any personnel thereof while in outer space or on a celestial body. Ownership of objects launched into outer space, including objects landed or constructed on a celestial body, and of their component parts, is not affected by their presence in outer space or on a celestial body, or by their return to the Earth, end quote. That explains that a company will retain ownership of habitats, storage units, or any other equipment used for a colony or a base. But as Article 8 explains, companies are required to register all its equipment and proposed activities with a country before launching into space. And that country is responsible for ensuring the company adheres to the Outer Space Treaty. So, following what's laid out in the Outer Space Treaty, private companies technically retain ownership of physical structures and other property in space. But there's a catch. The Outer Space Treaty suggests that All astronauts can freely use and access structures, vehicles, and other equipment on other worlds. Article 12 details, quote, All stations, installations, equipment, and space vehicles on the moon and other celestial bodies shall be open to representatives of other state parties to the treaty on a basis of reciprocity, end quote. I'm not sure how that would work, especially from a commercial perspective. Let's look at a different angle of this discussion that's related to property ownership in space, and that's the legality of mining and owning natural resources in space. This was an actively hot topic eight or so years ago. Companies like Planetary Resources and Deep Space Industries, neither of which exist anymore, were boldly pushing forward with plans to mine resources from asteroids. And space mining remains a business activity of interest to several companies, including Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos' space firm Blue Origin. But regardless of whether we're talking about mining asteroids or mining the moon, these are celestial bodies, and therefore, they fall under the Outer Space Treaty's prohibition of ownership. But in these cases, we're concerned with the ownership of resources extracted from these celestial bodies. So how does that work? Referring back to Louis D. Solomon's book, The Privatization of Space Exploration, he explains that, quote, Although it may be argued that resources on the moon or an asteroid are part of the land surface and cannot be treated separately from it, thereby barring private entities from claiming ownership of mineral resources in place, once mined from a space facility and its accompanying safety zone, these resources seemingly become subject to private ownership, end quote. Thomas Gengale adds, quote, The Outer Space Treaty does not forbid in situ resource utilization. Space is treated like a commons. Astronauts have brought home space rocks and taken title to them. If you want resources on Mars or the Moon, take them. End quote. <laughs> That's an interesting approach. Well, proponents of private resource ownership often cite Article 1 of the Outer Space Treaty, which states that asteroids and other celestial bodies, quote, shall be free for exploration and use. End quote. Okay, that's cool. But Article 1 also poses potential problems for resource ownership. It adds that, quote, exploration and use of outer space, including the moon and other celestial bodies, shall be carried out for the benefit and in the interest of all countries, end quote. 
it's kind of difficult to argue how a private company's mining of resources for profit fits the spirit of, quote, for the benefit and in the interest of all countries, end quote. As you can see, the Outer Space Treaty lays some groundwork for space law, but there are plenty of ambiguities, and it wasn't really written with business in mind. The agreement governing the activities of states on the moon and other celestial bodies, referred to as the Moon Agreement of 1979, was an attempt to address issues like questions pertaining to resource ownership. The Moon Agreement makes the issue very clear. It explicitly states, quote, "...neither the surface nor the subsurface of the moon, nor any part thereof of natural resources in place, shall become property of any state, international, intergovernmental, or non-governmental entity, or of any natural person." End quote. Although this is considerably clearer on the issue of resource ownership than the Outer Space Treaty, the Moon Agreement is, for all intents and purposes, completely irrelevant with respect to accepted space law. Unfortunately, it's considered a failed treaty. Only 13 nations ratified it, and none of those nations are engaged in manned space exploration, so nobody takes it seriously. And, not surprisingly, various countries have taken it upon themselves to create their own laws to suit their own needs and justify their actions. In 2015, the U.S. Commercial Space Launch Competitiveness Act, also referred to as the Space Act, was signed into law in the United States by President Barack Obama. This bill was intended to expedite private space exploration, and it specifically mentions space mining. Some believe the Space Act resolves the existing legal ambiguities and clears the way for companies to mine space resources. Title IV of the Space Act states, quote, A United States citizen engaged in commercial recovery of an asteroid resource or a space resource under this chapter shall be entitled to any asteroid resource or space resource obtained, including to possess, own, transport, use, and sell the asteroid resource or space resource obtained in accordance with applicable law, including the international obligations of the United States, end quote. But the Wall Street Journal's law blog pointed out that this legislation, quote, met with some questions about whether Congress and the President have the authority to assign such rights under international law, end quote. Similarly, in 2017, the small European country of Luxembourg drafted its own legal framework addressing private property rights to space resources. But even the Luxembourg Council of State recognizes that it's unclear whether international space law allows for a country to grant rights to natural resources mined in space. In April of 2020, the United States made another independent move in an attempt to further justify American mining of space resources. President Donald Trump signed an executive order boldly asserting, quote, Americans should have the right to engage in commercial exploration, recovery, and use of resources in outer space, consistent with applicable law. Outer space is a legally and physically unique domain of human activity, and the United States does not view it as a global commons, end quote. Space law is a mess. Space is kind of like the Wild West, and private companies are itching to join the space gold rush. While there is some semblance of space law in place, this legal framework was formulated back in the 1960s, when most space activities were thought of as far-off, unrealistic, science fiction dreams. The Outer Space Treaty is more than 50 years old, and critics have repeatedly pointed out the necessity for lawmakers to revisit the treaty to modify and expand the framework for modern space law, making it fit this new space age we live in. And it looks like 
maybe things are moving in that direction? On August 24th of this year, Canadian media outlet The Globe and Mail reported that, quote, a Canadian-led effort endorsed by more than 140 scientists, former politicians, and diplomats is asking the United Nations to take the lead on drafting an international treaty that would set uniform rules for mining in space, end quote. The Outer Space Institute is the driving force behind this effort. And aside from having a pretty sweet name, the Outer Space Institute is a Canadian-based international institute dedicated to space studies. It's the issue of individual countries making up their own laws related to space resources that really prompted this initiative. The Globe and Mail explains, quote, Signatories to the request for the UN to intervene believe space must be regulated internationally, similarly to Antarctica or the world's seabeds, and all countries including non-spacefaring ones, get a say in decision-making. The alternative, they warned, could be a splintered approach where companies conduct flag-of-convenience resource extraction in space under whichever country has the least onerous rules, end quote. Will anything come of this? We'll just have to wait and see. I sure hope so. Space law needs lots of attention. Again, space is like the Wild West right now. I fully expect that several companies and or nations will push forward with space mining efforts despite legal ambiguities or objections from other spacefaring countries. Because, really, who's going to enforce these debatable space laws anyway? And, of course, these laws would be trivial if it becomes clear that extraterrestrials own an asteroid or some other celestial body. Take Mars, for example. If the United States, or even a U.S. company, establishes a colony on Mars, then is later approached by a representative from a Martian civilization who announced that they are laying claim to the colony because it's on their land. What rights do these U.S. colonists have? Well, first of all, under current space law, the colonists are obligated to inform the U.N. about the extraterrestrials and about the incident. Attorney Susan Simpson explains on the website The View from LL2 that under Article 11 of the Outer Space Treaty, a colony like this would have an obligation to inform the Secretary General of the United Nations, as well as the public and the international scientific community, to the greatest extent feasible and practicable of the nature, conduct, location, and results of the encounter with extraterrestrials. She continues, quote, Therefore, not only must all other nations be made aware of the aliens, no secret men-in-black type arrangements can legally take place either, the discovery of an extraterrestrial intelligence must be announced to the world. Even if all the states wanted to make it a government secret, the scientific community also has a right to be informed. Quote. But what about the native Martians? The Outer Space Treaty wouldn't and couldn't regulate their actions. Mars certainly isn't a signatory to that treaty. A new situation like this would raise many legal questions. Did the Martians act in accordance with their own laws in claiming the colony? What redress could the Martians seek? Could they sue in their courts? What remedy could the U.S. company seek? Could it sue in the United States? How do you sue an extraterrestrial? And sure, the U.S. military could intervene and retake the colony by force if they had the technological means to do so, but... This course of action would likely instigate an interplanetary conflict. Ideally, the colonists would begin a dialogue with the Martian civilization, which could progress into a formation of an interplanetary treaty and the birth of interplanetary space law. After all, 
the Outer Space Treaty states that astronauts are regarded as envoys of mankind in outer space. Well, citizens, that's going to do it for this episode. You can find more episodes of Unknown on all the major podcast platforms. And you can always find this show and our other shows at RoguePlanet.tv, because Unknown is a Rogue Planet production. RoguePlanet.tv is your home for all the strange. Feel free to reach out to us if you've got a story you want to share, if there's a story or topic you'd like us to cover on this show, or anything else. You can find us on social media, or simply email us at contact at RoguePlanet.tv. Thanks again for hanging out today. I'm Jason McClellan. Do us a favor, friends. Always treat the UFO subject with the cautious and responsible skepticism it deserves. Question everything. Have the courage to form your own opinions. Keep truth as the focus of your quest, even if the truth conflicts with your opinions. And, of course, stay strange. <laughs> <laughs>